Ladies and gentlemen, it is a long I journey to this moment. Really Thank you so much. It's an incredible honor. Naturally, indebted to And the Oscar goes to. Welcome to Thank the Academy, the podcast where we talk about every Academy Award-winning Best Picture film in order. We're your hosts, Zach and Kristen, and that's Kayla, our producer. Howdy! Hello! Hello! We're here! We're it's back! It's time for another episode! Mm-hmm! Welcome to the 57th Academy Awards and the 57th Best Picture winner, Amadeus! Ah! <laughs> So, we haven't gotten to talk about this because we watched it separately. We did. Yeah, we watched it apart. So, we actually haven't even compared. I don't even know if you liked it or not. Uh So, (laughs) And it's been a long time since we've had one of these regular episodes. Uh, The last episode you heard, we recorded in September. Yeah, and it's February now. Yeah. Excited to be back to it. It feels it feels natural. It feels good to get back into a regular episode. Mm-hmm. All about the ceremony. Yeah. But first, of course, before we talk about any movie things, we have to discuss the Penny News. A pup date. So for those of you who don't know, Penny is our little pup who is almost six years old. Yeah, oh my gosh, she's and five and a half. she is a Cavalier King Charles Spaniel, and she's a spunky one. She's very cute. Terribly, terribly cute. And this week, uh, if you have been following any kind of news, uh, you probably know that there was lots of rain in California. Yeah, there was a very significant downpour, more than, than normal for this time of year. Apparently one of those 1,000-year storms that we now have had three of in the last <laughs> two years. So doesn't seem like it's an 1,000-year storm anymore. <laughs> but Penny had to go through the rain just like everyone else. Poor, poor pup. She cannot deal with the rain. She absolutely hates it. Especially now that she's a true California girl. Yeah, she thought, wow, how wonderful. My mom and dad ripped me away from everything I knew growing up on the East Coast and brought me to this land of sunshine where I never have to step in a puddle. And yet here we are. (laughs) Every time she goes out when it's wet, even if it's not raining, she's like, oh, no. And she tries to avoid it. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, she's just so dainty and precious about it. She like doesn't want to get her paws wet. She doesn't want to step in the grass. She doesn't want to step in the mud. And Bosley, our other boy, he doesn't care. He just is happy to be outside. He loves to be outside whenever he can be. So it's a challenge because now we can't walk them together. Because if we take him out, she goes out, she does her business and wants to turn right back around and get inside. And of course, her fur is so fine because she's a cavalier and it's so thick at the same time that she just like traps all the water. So she gets soaked so quickly. Like it could be sprinkling and her fur will just get so wet. So then we have to towel her off and it's a whole thing. And Penny, (laughs) when she gets wet, she gets zoomies. (laughs) Yeah. After we bring her inside and towel, she does really like to get toweled off. I think she thinks it's like being pet in some way, getting lots of attention. So we towel her off. And then as soon as we're done with that and take off her leash and everything, she just has to run and roll around and wipe everything off. And yeah, she just loses her mind. She's a crazy one. She's very silly. Well, Good job, pup. That's the penny news. (laughs) Shall we get to this illustrious ceremony? Yeah, definitely. Um, It is a big year in film. I mean... It uh, is. It's crazy. It's... I think I would say it's one of the more quintessential years of the 80s. Yeah, and I didn't really... I mean, there's always people debating like, oh, what's the best year of films? And like 1939 is usually one of the ones that's thrown around. 2012 is one that's more modern Mm -hmm. that's like... A year where just a number of really high-profile films came out that Mm -hmm. are, like, probably going to stand the test of time. I don't know that I've heard people say 1984, but I would say that 1984 is one of the, like, quintessential years of movie history. Yeah, it's a big year. And, I mean, what I will say about it is most of these movies 
personally, I hadn't really seen before this because I didn't really grow up watching a lot of like highbrow movies. <laughs> well, and I'm not just talking about highbrow Oscar oh. stuff. I'm talking about all the movies that oh, okay. came out this year. It's just like when you think of movies in the 80s, this is the year that most of them came out. Back to the Future? Uh, not Back to the Future. Okay. Um, <laughs> Ghostbusters, okay. Temple of Doom, Gremlins, Karate Kid, Police Academy, Footloose. Dang. Yeah, those are very, very 80s. Yeah. Well, all right. Well, let's get into the ceremony honoring the ones that at least got nominated. Because most of those didn't get a lot of nominations. But uh, this year, the ceremony was held on March 25th, 1985 at the Dorothy Chandler Pavilion. Uh, this year, it was hosted by Jack Lemmon. Oh, who very was a fun. Very safe choice. Um, there's been some, you know, hiccups and such. One of the main things they brought him on for was hoping that he would be both entertaining and very simple, like very straight to the point. They didn't want to dilly dally. They, if you recall me talking about the last ceremony, there was a lot of lulls. It was the lowest year for the Nielsen ratings in a long time. Um, very low viewership hmm. and kind of just like negative critical response to it. So they were hoping that they could make it more entertaining and also just more succinct because people were getting sick of this like four or five hour endeavor of watching this show forever that wasn't entertaining throughout. Well, and admittedly, that is way too long. Yeah. Like even... Three hours is too long. The goal for this ceremony was to be three hours. It was three hours and 10 minutes. So I mean, that is excessive still (laughs) in my mind. And it's hard because they don't have their stalwart man, Bob Hope. (laughs) Yes. Keeping them snappy. Yeah. And I don't know. When you rely on that being sort of the gimmick of the host, then I don't know. You always try to replicate that. I feel like... Another person who's sort of similar to that that we haven't gotten to yet is Billy Crystal. Right. But it's hard to find that like person who loves the industry, who the industry loves, mm-hmm. who is like safe, really funny, yeah. very endearing. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah, exactly. Um, and, and I mean, I was going to talk about this in a little bit, but they really tried to keep everything succinct. They told everyone they had a 45 second uh, max for speeches. Mm. And if you remember last time I talked about how they'd installed for the first time, they'd installed a timer yeah. that would give a countdown so that people who were giving speeches could see how long they had left for the first time last <laughs> year. <laughs> um, so they had instilled that again for this year with 45 seconds per person. Of course, it was not held to like I talked right. about last time. It only starts when someone hits the button. So it wasn't like the second the name was announced, it started. It was like, if you noticed someone was going long, they would start the countdown. Well, oh, yeah, that's not good. Right. That's what I'm saying. And and I was sort of assuming it was something like how the Emmys did it this year, where the timer started when they were announced. So they were cutting into their time if they were walking up. Hugging people. Yeah. (laughs) Basically, by the time most of the people got up to give their acceptance, they had hugged everyone and spent their their allotted time mm-hmm. walking up. Yeah, exactly. But that's also a bad way to do it too. It's like, well, if they're going long, start the timer. By that point, they've probably already gone a minute. And then they're going another 45 seconds. Boy. Yeah, so it was kind of silly. There was the threat of exit music again, but they didn't employ it at all. They still haven't quite figured out how to do this with so many awards and so many things they want to accomplish within the ceremony. This yeah. is like kind of the next thing that they're like ironing out the mechanics of. Mm-hmm. Uh, this was directed by Marty Pesita. Once again, he's been our guy for a long time Great. now. Uh, this year was produced by Gregory Peck, Robert Wise, Larry Gelbert, and Gene Allen. Wow, interesting. It's the only one that Gregory Peck has produced, and I was trying to look into why, and hmm. I'm not really sure. Robert Wise was president of the Academy at this time, um, and Gregory Peck has been very involved in the Academy. I mean, it makes sense just in the fact that like he loves the Academy. He loves the industry. And he loves the award ceremony. It's just interesting to me. And I was trying to figure out maybe why this year, but Hmm. there's no like strong reason for that. I think it's just that they had a really bad year last year. Yeah. And so this year, the producers are the, is the president of the Academy. Yeah. And Gregory Peck has been so involved in the past that I think they're just like lumping him in for his expertise. He's also getting up there in age at this point. And, you know, he probably wants to give back any way he can and... I'm sure they asked him and he just 
was more than happy to oblige. Yeah, of course. (laughs) Um, The Washington Post said about this ceremony, quote, there was a lot of glitter and very little sparkle. The big accomplishment seemed to be getting the whole awful thing over with and going home. An American tradition, falling asleep during the Academy Awards, was certainly not threatened with extinction by last night's dreary show. Hmm. Well, (laughs) kind of a bummer. (laughs) The other thing that when you say a quote like that, that I think is like when when you see clips of the awards in the 80s, they do feel so out of place Hmm. in like 80s culture. They don't feel like they have anything to do with 80s culture. Interesting. Whereas like the 90s feel very rooted in 90s culture Hmm. or like clips from like the 30s or the 40s or the 50s it was like the Mm. culture makers were involved in the academy awards through and through and i think that now that we've gotten to the 80s so many of the industry is so old and like probably a little out of touch i don't Mm. know that's a really interesting observation it's the first time that like culture is changing so rapidly also true and like i don't know they it does feel very out of touch. That is a really good observation. And you are right in that a lot of the people who are in charge of the Academy at this point are the old guard. And there hasn't been a lot of turnover yet. Mm -hmm. I mean, we still got Gregory Peck involved and he's like one of the OGs of the industry. So like that makes a lot of sense to me. That's a good observation. And yeah, it does feel out of touch. Even like watching some of the clips, you're right. Yeah, it feels like what is happening? This is not anything like the 80s actually is. Huh. Hmm. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) I didn't even really think about that. I just kind of felt that. Yeah. Okay. Very, very interesting. Hmm. Um, Moving right along to get to some just stuff about this year. Um, One weird thing is that the five Best Picture nominees are all period films this year. Oh, interesting. I didn't realize that, but Amadeus is late 18th century. The Killing Fields uh, is 1970s Cambodia. A Passage to India is 1920s British India. Places in the Heart is 1935 in Texas. And A Soldier's Story is 1940s in Louisiana. Hmm. So just kind of an odd thing that was just like part of what was going on in the ether at the time. I guess that was what was being made and Hmm. popular or coming out. Yeah. Um, So, you know, there's always things about every ceremony. Uh (laughs) Um, This year, while presenting the Best Picture Award, Lawrence Olivier was given this honor and he walks out onto the stage. Oh, I did see this. <laughs> and when he walks out, of course, everybody's very happy to see him. So they jump to their feet. They give him a standing ovation. And I think he just got distracted by this. Well, he's also getting old and he's <laughs> losing his memory a little bit. He's like a year or two from death at this point. Yeah. I feel like we're saying that a lot. They're getting old. Yeah. <laughs> So poor guy, he, I think he just got a little, you know, discombobulated throughout walking in this whole situation. He gets to the podium and he said, quote, for such a wonderful reception, I thank you so much. And then he simply forgot to say anything else. So he didn't read any of the nominees. He just ripped open that envelope and said, Amadeus. (laughs) Yeah. For best picture. This is the award. This is the like big finale award. He didn't notice or mention any of the other films. He just shouted it out and this caught everybody off guard. So there's a little bit of a, like there's a little bit of a commotion in the audience of people being like, Oh, okay. That's it. That's it. Go, go. And like figuring out who's going and celebrating and all that stuff. And, And very kindly, um, Saul Zanitz who received the award on the film's behalf had the presence of mind to mention all the other nominees. So they did get Mm -hmm. their flowers in a way um, and had a little bit of recognition as being nominated for the most prestigious of all the awards. Yeah. But just one of those flubs. It's hard because that is the big finale of the show. And as we've seen in recent years, when there's also been a flub with that, like it just throws the whole show off kilter and feels very weird and kind of makes the win feel a little odd. Well, and nowadays they do they announced the nominees for best picture so differently because now, now, well, now that there's 10 of them, they have to announce them all throughout the whole evening. So like each one gets their moment of like, this is one of the best picture nominees and they do highlights of it. And they like sort of say who was involved in it and you know, whose big film it is. And, and they do that throughout the whole evening. Mm -hmm. So they don't have to run through 10 of them right before the, actual best picture is announced yeah 
And of course, Amadeus wins eight awards this evening. Um, lots of things I'll get to in just a moment. Um, but one of the things worth mentioning is that um, F. Murray Abraham wins uh, Best Actor. He's in this category with his co-star, Tom Hulse, who plays Mozart in the film. Um, and this is the last time that two actors from the same film would be nominated for Best Actor in the mm. same category. So this has not happened since 1985. This is the last time it'll occur. There are very few films and like I was trying because this is the age old thing. If you have two actors in the same category, it's very likely that neither of them will win Mm -hmm. because they end up splitting the votes. But there's really no way that you could put them in separate categories. I was wondering about that, too. As I was like watching the movie, I hadn't looked at the awards yet. And then I looked through the list of things and I was wondering if they would put him in supporting actor. Which doesn't make any sense no, it doesn't. because he's the narrator of the film. No, 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 not him. Um, Tom Hulse. Oh, yeah. yeah. It's all about Mozart, but the other guy is the narrator, yes. Salieri. Yeah. And so it's like, yeah, there's no way that you could split them up. They and both the, are leads. And if you were thinking about the story, like, like in terms of the play, it is almost a two-hander. Like, it's not, but right. it, it's two male leads kind of going head to head. So, yeah, what do you do? This ceremony also marked the first time that multiple black nominees would win an Oscar. Oh, wow. When both Prince and Stevie Wonder won for their work on Purple Rain and The Woman in Red. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah, both musical things, but mm-hmm. definitely a step in a good direction. Yeah. <laughs> um, which was was interesting. Talking about music, there is a couple of things I wanted to mention here as well. Uh you had talked about in our Academy Archives the importance of music in the 80s. That was the your focus for that episode. Mm-hmm. And how apropos, because this year is the only time that all five nominees in the Best Original Song category topped the Billboard Hot 100 charts. Wow. So yeah. all five Best Original Songs were also number one songs. Yes. Mm-hmm. Wow. Against All Odds, Footloose, Ghostbusters, I Just Called to Say I Love You, and Let's Hear It for the Boy. Wow. That's crazy. Yeah. Um, the song Against All Odds um, was by Phil Collins. Um, it got him a Grammy for Best Male Pop Vocal Performance. It was also nominated for this category original song. He didn't win. But one weird thing was that he was the only nominee in the category not invited to sing his song on stage. Oh. And then they had Ann Rankin perform it instead. Huh. And during it, they kept cutting to him. Oh. And showing his reaction. And he's sitting there like, not disgruntled but like not happy about it and it's one of those super awkward things that has been referred to in modern culture looking back at this moment how his like his reaction shot is like a an image that people refer to of like discomfort and like awkwardness yeah that is really strange that he wouldn't sing it himself yes and technically stevie wonder didn't perform his song either it was Mm -hmm. um i just called to say i love you but he was offered the opportunity and didn't like declined it and diana ross performed in his place Hmm. and they had like a creative relationship already so it kind of was positive on that side but yeah phil collins's thing was kind of weird uh, moving on to some of the stuff about the actors um one of the standout moments of the night that is uh quoted nowadays as well was Sally Field's speech for winning Best Actress. She won the Oscar for um, Places in the Heart. This is her second Academy Award win. She also won for Norma Rae in 1979. But in the end of her speech, she said, quote, this means so much more to me this time. I don't know why. I think the first time I felt it less because it was so new. I can't deny the fact that you like me right now. You like me. Oh boy. And that's one of those phrases that has like stood the test of time as an Oscar-y phrase. You like me. And a lot of people will say, you like me. You really like me. And this comes back to her speech here. Hmm. So just a little pop culture thing for you. Um, when F. Murray Abraham's award was announced, there was thunderous applause. People were very, very excited for him. Uh, very like positive moment in the evening Mm -hmm. um dame peggy ashcroft who won for supporting actress she was not able to be there because she was at the funeral of sir michael redgrave who had died that week so angela lansbury received the oscar in her place Mm -hmm. 
So I wanted to spend a little bit of time talking about the winner of Best Supporting Actor, Hang S. Noor, who became the first non-professional actor in almost 40 years to win this award since Harold Russell, who we talked about during the best years of our lives. Huzzah! So if you recall us talking about Harold Russell, he was um, a double amputee who was not an actor um, during World War II, but he, in the film The Best Years of Our Lives, is playing a veteran, and his performance is just incredible he brings so much of himself and it's one of those things where they brought him into this film because he was such a unique person Mm -hmm. both in his physical state but also because of what he had experienced and the way that he could just emote and be an actor without any training Mm -hmm. Um, and he won best supporting actor then so now in present day Hang S. Nyor wins uh, best supporting actor he is a Cambodian man he was 34 years old he was a refugee and he survived the Khmer Rouge in Cambodia um, survived some of the worst parts of the Holocaust he uh, oh and it's from the film The Killing Fields Mm -hmm. which is about Pol Pot and the Khmer Rouge and all that kind of stuff Uh, it was very very emotional everyone jumped to their feet I mean even like when I watched the clip of him winning this award I got so teary he's just so joyous and he uh hugs everyone and he raises it above his head um it was a really really beautiful moment in the ceremony it's the highlight when I was looking at different critics responses to the evening this is the moment that they all talk about this Mm -hmm. is like the best part of this ceremony um backstage he said quote The film is helping let the world know what happened in my country. A movie is not enough. It's cruel, but not cruel enough. I thank God, Buddha, that I am even here tonight. Um, And he talked about like in his speech, he talks about the anguish and the pain of his country and his people and all these things. Um, And of course, he plays a journalist in the film who's kind of going through some of these things. And I don't know if we'll get a chance to talk about this film at all, but it's just a really incredible story and performance. Um, if you've ever read the book, The Killing Fields, it's really powerful. My family like has a lot of connections to Cambodia. And so that was one of the things that I grew up with reading. And um, it just was really amazing for not just him, but for the representation also, because he's a Cambodian man who's no other Cambodians have won any Academy Awards. Mm-hmm. So not only is it... Uh, a step forward for representation, but also just for his incredible performance and tribute to his country and the tragedy that they endured. Mm-hmm. It felt like this was sort of a theme for the night, these sort of international politics as well. Mm-hmm. That was one of the main things that I observed as I was reading different reports. Um, some of examples of this, not just uh, the killing fields, but when he accepted uh, the Oscar for Best Director for Amadeus, Czech born foreman cited uh, that there were many Czechoslovakian technicians and artists who worked with his American colleagues on the film. And he said that that was very encouraging in his speech. That was one thing he made sure to bring out. Um, Stevie Wonder, when he won for Best Song, uh, he dedicated the award to South African activist Nelson Mandela, um, who was imprisoned at that time. Mm. So, like, just bringing up a lot of things that were going on in the world on the American stage, which just like was very interesting, especially considering that, like, a lot of these films were um, set in America mm, that right. won awards this evening. It's not like we've had years where a lot of the films are set in different countries or about different things. They're kind of like exploring the world and international stuff. And it's very exciting. And this year wasn't necessarily that, but there's so much going on on the international stage that's being brought to an American public in this ceremony. Mm-hmm. And the final thing I wanted to mention today is that there's an honorary award given to Jimmy Stewart, uh-huh. presented by his friend and colleague, Cary Grant. Oh, wow. Um, and in his speech, uh, Jimmy Stewart thanks Frank Capra and the other directors who guided him, quote, through the no man's land of my own good intentions to more meaningful performances. Uh, and then he also said, quote, thank you for being so kind to me over the years. You've given me a wonderful life. God bless you. Mm, cute. So. And with that, um, I'll just go through our winners for this evening. Um, I, there's so much to talk about. I'm sorry. I'm like, feel like there's a lot to say, but this is what I can cover in the time I have. We never have enough time to say everything we want to say. No. And I would love to talk more about some of these films, but today won't be the day. Alas. Uh, best Picture, of course, goes to Amadeus. Best Director goes to Milos Forman for Amadeus. Best Actor goes to F. Murray Abraham for Amadeus. Best Actress goes to Sally Field for Places in the Heart. 
Best Supporting Actor goes to Hang S. Noor for The Killing Fields. Best Supporting Actress goes to Peggy Ashcroft for A Passage to India. Best Screenplay written directly for the screen goes to Places in the Heart, Robert Benton. Best Screenplay based on material from another medium goes to Amadeus, Peter Schaefer, based on his play, which I thought was really cool that, like, I didn't realize that he did the screenplay as well. I thought it was just based on his work, so good for Yeah, him. he did the screenplay, and also, unfortunately, it sort of sent him into a tailspin where, like, he kept revising the play over oh, and no. over. Like, every version, like, professional version of the play was, like, revised before oh, it was put up basically because of this adaption i mean it happened mostly after this adaptation mm. so it seems like it interesting well he's a great writer he I is love equus <laughs> uh best foreign language film goes to dangerous moves from switzerland best documentary feature goes to the, the times of harvey milk robert epstein uh, and i meant to talk about this too and i didn't get to talk about this we've got some queer culture coming into the academy awards too that's much more front and center mm-hmm. than it has been in the past i mean we're mid-80s so it's getting to be a little bit more you know progressive but this is like one of the first instances of a very openly gay film uh winning an academy award so congrats Best Documentary Short Subject goes to The Stone Carvers. Best Live Action Short Film goes to Up. Best Animated Short Film goes to Charade. Best Original Score goes to A Passage to India. Best Original Song Score goes to Purple Rain. This is Prince's Academy Award. Mm-hmm. Also, one of the things that was came up in most people's critiques of the show was both ends of the spectrum of people either saying... Prince looked stunning. His outfit was incredible. He was glam. He was everything. And other people being like, Prince looked ridiculous. He looked so stupid and silly. Can you believe he would wear something so gaudy to the Oscars? So take it as you will. I think from a modern perspective, we can all agree that he looked fantastic. Mm. (laughs) But it was very noted, his attire. Best original song goes to I Just Called to Say I Love You from The Woman in Red, Stevie Wonder. Best sound goes to Amadeus. Makes sense. Mm -hmm. Best art direction goes to Amadeus. Best cinematography goes to The Killing Fields. Best makeup goes to Amadeus. Best costume design goes to Amadeus. Best film editing goes to The Killing Fields. And best visual effects goes to Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom. Mm -hmm. And as I mentioned, there is an honorary award given to Jimmy Stewart. Uh, I talked about that. And then there's also an honorary award given to the National Endowment for the Arts, um, quote, in recognition of its 20th anniversary and dedicated commitment to fostering artistic and creative activity and excellence in every area of the arts. Hmm, nice. Which I think is a weird thing to give an Oscar to an A endowment. federal government yeah, agency. I don't, <laughs> I, I don't know what to make of that. There is a Gene Herschelt Humanitarian Award given to David L. Wolper, who uh, he's a, mostly a producer. He did things like um, Roots, North and South. Oh, wow. Uh, Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory, stuff like that. Hmm. Um, so he's been in the industry. And then there is also a Special Achievement Award given to the film The River, specifically to Kay Rose for sound effects editing. Oh, wow. Nice. Yeah. And The River is a film that is literally about a massive rushing river, like destroying a farm. So ah, lots, lots of, of sound effects. editing. Yeah. <laughs> so that is kind of the wrap up for the 57th Academy Awards. Um, very just interesting year in film. And mm-hmm. even in just like the politics around what wins, obviously Amadeus had a major sweep, especially in all of the like effects categories um, or art like departments. So it makes a lot of sense when you watch the film, considering how grandiose the styling and the sets and the hair and the makeup and everything is. Yeah. And with that, um, I will pass it off to you to talk a little bit more about our Best Picture winner, Amadeus. All righty. Time for the year 1984. Starting with some famous births. We have Kate McKinnon, Cecily uh, Strong. Uh, Olivia Wilde, Mandy Moore, Claire Foy, America Ferreira, Paul Dano, Aubrey Plaza, Fantasia Barino, John David Washington, Gina Rodriguez, Kyle Mooney, Zach Woods, Chris Lowell, and Scarlett Johansson. Wow, basically the whole cast of SNL. Ah. That's so crazy that all those people are the same age. I I know I always say that, but like I didn't realize Aubrey Plaza and Kate McKinnon are the same age. Mm, yeah, and they're all turning 40 this year. 
Oh my gosh. Wow, Aubrey Plaza's 39? That's crazy. I mean, or she could have turned 40. I don't know when her birthday is in this year. Wow. Then we have uh, some famous film debuts in 1984. Joel and Ethan Cohen, Jennifer mm. Connelly, Johnny Depp, Rupert Everett, Colin Firth, Sarah Michelle Gellar, Gilbert Gottfried, Val Kilmer, Andy McDowell, Francis McDormand, Tim Robbins, Alexander Skarsgård, Marissa Tomei, Ken Watanabe, and Michelle Yeoh. Wow, basically the people who are going to be so popular at the end of the 80s and the 90s. Mm-hmm. Uh, then we have m- the most deaths that I've ever... Oh, no. They're mostly not people that you're going to remember either. Sorry oh, to them. Man. Um, but let's go through them. Uh, we have Ernest Laszlo. He was a cinematographer. He was nominated eight times and won once for Ship of Fools. Frances Goodrich was a screenwriter with her husband, Albert Hackett. Together, they were nominated for four Academy Awards. They won four WGA Awards and the Pulitzer Prize for Drama for The Diary of Anne Frank. Wow. They wrote a lot of cool stuff together. Yeah. Including uh, Seven Brides for Seven Brothers also. Oh. Hmm. Next, we have Ethel Merman, who was an uh, actress, of course. No. She had two Tony wins, one Grammy, one Drama Desk Award, and a Golden Globe. Dang. So good for her. Uh, next we have Jackie Coogan, who was an actor, of course, most famous for the 1939 California child actors law known as the Coogan law or the Coogan bill. Um, when he discovered when he was like became an adult that his like almost $2 million fortune was squandered by his mother without his knowledge from all of his child acting days. So we have him and his wily mother to thank. Yeah. (laughs) for that law protecting children now. (laughs) Next, we have William E. Schneider. He was nominated three times for Best Cinematography. Then we have William Powell, who was an actor. He got three nominations for Best Actor. Of course, he was popular for The Thin Man, My Man Godfrey, and we talked about him uh, when he starred in The Great Zigfield. Mm. Next, we have Paul Francis Webster, who was a lyricist. He was nominated 16 times for Best Original Song, and he had three wins. Um, His three wins were for Secret Love from Calamity Jane, Love is a Many Splendored Thing from Love is a Many Splendored Thing, and The Shadow of Your Smile from The Sandpiper. Hmm. Next, we have Richard Van Anger, who was an editor. He won one Academy Award. Sam Levitt, who was a cinematographer, he got three nominations for Best Cinematography and one win for The Defiant Ones. Sam Jaff, an actor, nominated once for Best Supporting Actor. Jack Donahue, famous director. Carmen Dragon, who was a composer, he won one time for Best Original Score. John Lee Mahan, who was a screenwriter, he was known as the favorite writer of both Clark Gable and Victor Fleming. Wow. Next, we have Andrea Leeds, who was an actress. She was nominated one time. Leslie Carey, who was a sound engineer. He received six nominations and one win. Carl Foreman, who we talked about. He was a screenwriter, uh, most notably for High Noon, and was uh, one of the main people who got really caught up in the Red Scare. Yeah. Another one of those people was Lillian Hellman, also uh, died this year in 1984, was a very prolific writer, and she received two Oscar nominations mm. for her scripts in her career. Uh, next, we have James Mason, who was an actor. He received three nominations in his career. Then Richard Burton, we've talked about mm. many times. Uh, and He was an actor, of course. He received seven Oscar nominations Never won an Oscar. Wow. Uh, three Tony nominations and one Tony Award win. Then we have Truman Capote, who was a writer. His most famous uh, script is probably Breakfast at Tiffany's. Mm-hmm. Uh, then we have Emil Newman, who was a composer, of course, of the, of the famed Newman family. Uh, he received only one nomination, but it did add to the <laughs> Newman family total of 95. Yeah, boy. Do you want to talk about a family legacy? Yeah, the most nominated family of all time. Of course, there are like 10 of them that have gotten nominations. Yeah. Um, Next, we have William Sands, an editor. He received one nomination for Best Editing. Janet Gaynor, who was an actress, she won the very first Best Actress Award. Oh, wow. And she received two nominations. That award was for three films that she did (laughs) in uh, a span of two years that the Academy (laughs) awarded her for. 
Next, we have Walter Pigeon. He was an actor and Aww. received two nominations. Of course, we talked about him in Mrs. Miniver yeah. and How Green Was My Valley. Next, we have Peggy Ann Garner, an actress. She won the Academy Juvenile Award. Francois Truffaut, director and producer. He received six nominations and one win for Best Foreign Language Film. Norman Krasna, a director, writer. He received four nominations and one win. Harry Suckman, who was a composer. He received three nominations and one win. Edward Carrere, an art director with three nominations and one win. Sam Peckinpah, of course, famous writer and director. He received one nomination in his career. Leo Robin, songwriter. He received 10 nominations and one win for Best Original Song for Thanks for the Memories. Not the Fall Out Boy song, I'm assuming. No, the famous Bob <laughs> Hope with Thanks for the Memories. <laughs> Um, then we have a bunch of news items. Walt Disney Studios launches Touchstone Pictures to release films with more mature themes and subject matters. Ooh, la, la. Their first film released was Splash, starring Ooh, so Tom mature. Hanks. <laughs> yeah. uh, then TriStar Pictures, which was a joint company created by CBS, HBO, and Columbia, releases its first film, Where the Boys Are, 84. <laughs> okay. Strangely enough, their next film was The Natural, which is like... Hmm. Kind of a prestigious film. Hmm. I don't know. We have new rating system. Oh. The MPAA, in response to growing violence in films, institutes a new rating of PG-13. All right. A nice in-between. Yes. Uh, specifically as a direct response to two films released in 84, Gremlins and Temple of Doom. Ah. Oh. Then the first to be officially rated PG-13 is Red Dawn, which came out also mm. in 1984. Okay. So basically, they're going to say that some of the films rated PG are now going to be rated PG-13. PG's new like guidelines are parental guidance suggested, some material may not be suitable for children, and then PG-13 is parents strongly cautioned. Uh-huh. Some material may be inappropriate for children under 13. Ah. Uh, yeah, that, yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. Basically, I don't know. Give you a little in-between yeah. option. Um, Ghostbusters becomes the highest grossing comedy of all time, making $230 million in its initial run, beating out the former highest grossing comedy, Tootsie, which had made $177 million. Mm. Um, it's also the highest grossing film from Columbia up to this point. Um, Michael Eisner leaves Paramount to become the head of Walt Disney Productions. Oh, boy. Getting ready for the next Disney The Renaissance. Renaissance is coming. And Ned Tannen is hired at Paramount to replace him there. I would like to point out really quick that I love the 80s at Disney. I know that nobody else does, but like we got some hits here in yeah. my book. I love the Great Mouse Detective mm-hmm. and yeah, th- there's some good stuff. Yeah. Uh, Beverly Hills Cop comes out in December of 84, going on to become the new highest grossing comedy of all time, beating out Ghostbusters Wow! and the highest grossing R-rated film for the next 19 years. Wow. Sony Corp of America versus Universal City Studios rules that recording movies and television at home on a v- VHS tape does not break copyright laws. Oh, interesting. Yeah. So that's pretty interesting. So you can start taping stuff from the TV. Well, people already were, and Universal Legally. was trying to stop it. Ah, uh, I see. They could not because they've already been paid for it to air on television. So. Mm-hmm. The Adventures of Andre and Wally B is the first fully computer-generated animated 3D short film worked on by future key Pixar player John Lasseter. Oh, I see. It was produced by The Graphics Group, which was currently owned by Lucasfilm that was later uh, released from Lucasfilm and renamed Pixar. Nice. The first Apple computer is released in January of 1984 and is announced with a highly produced and expensive commercial during the Super Bowl directed by Ridley Scott. <laughs> uh, so this is a huge thing because yeah. Apple is happening. But then also this is sort of what starts the idea of like a highly produced Super Bowl commercial. Yeah, right. Um, the first ever Hi-Fi VCR was introduced in the mid 1983 for Betamax machines and a year later for VHS machines in summer of 1984. All right. Yeah, because we got our first release of Disney VHSs coming Mm -hmm. in 1985. Uh, The Voyager Company debuts its Criterion collection of special edition video laser discs. 
Yes, and they include different language options. They include uh, original aspect ratio, widescreen formats, all kinds of very cool stuff, uh, extras behind the scenes (laughs) footage. So there you go. Of course, I want to highlight the 36 primetime Emmys in which Cheers wins for best comedy Mm. and Hill Street Blues wins for drama. Then also the 39th Tony Awards. So this is a really strange year for the Tonys. Awards were not presented for Best Performance by a Leading Actor in a Musical, Best Performance by Leading Actress in a Musical, or Best Choreography. So according to the Associated Press, quote, The award for Best Actress Musical was eliminated this season because there was only one eligible candidate. The nominating committee declined to give nominations in those other categories because they did not consider any of the performances or choreography (gasps) outstanding or excellent. What? How rude. Isn't that crazy? What? And you're going to think it's even crazier when you hear what won. So best play was Biloxi Blues. So there was nothing weird about that. They gave out awards for best actor in a play, best actress in a play, all that. The best musical was Big River. Oh, my. So nobody won (gasps) best actor for Big River. Yeah. What? Very crazy. There is a whole show built around one character in that show. And they said, he sucks. He doesn't get an award. <laughs> well, and the other best musical nominees were Grind, okay. Leader of the Pack, okay. and Quilters. Oh, I know Quilters. Not yeah. like that. I know it, but I know of it. Yeah. Ugh. I mean, kind of a bummer year. Not going to lie. But it's crazy that they they wouldn't choose to award any uh, either the man who played Huck or Jim yeah, for Dang. Big River. That's sad. Yeah. Uh, best revival that year was A Day in the Death of Joe Egg. <laughs> he was competing against Cyrano, Much Ado, and Strange Interlude. Okay. <laughs> Some real hits there. Um, Yul Brynner ended up receiving an honorary an honorary award to acknowledge his feat of 4,525 performances of The King and I. Oh, my. Which is crazy. <laughs> That's insane. And Big River received 10 nominations and seven wins. Ugh. But the acting was terrible. I guess so. And bad choreography. Ugh. Uh, so this brings us to our film of the hour, Amadeus. All right. In all honesty, there's not a lot to talk about the making of the film, uh, but we will get through it. Uh, the recap is Italian composer Antonio Salieri from a psychiatric hospital after attempting suicide, recalls his relationship, admiration, hatred, jealousy, and attempted control over fellow composer Wolfgang Amadeus Mozart. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, Yeah. that's the whole plot. Yeah. Without talking about any of the themes, obviously. Yeah. Uh, It had a budget of $18 million, and it ended up only grossing $90 million. So it was not very successful, Hmm. like, money-wise. But it was seen as a very successful film. Uh Um, Along with The English Patient, The Hurt Locker, The Artist, and Birdman. Um, What's going to tie them together? (laughs) They are the only Best Picture winners to never enter the weekend box office top five rankings. Whoa, weird. Okay. So... The film peaked at number six during its eighth weekend in theaters. Gotcha. Hmm. So very interesting. All films that won Best Picture but didn't make a lot of money. Hmm. Um, So firstly, the story is pretty much totally untrue and totally unfounded. Oh, okay. (laughs) Um, It was first used as like this relationship was first used as story fodder in Alexander Pushkin's short play from 1830 called Mozart and Salieri. Mm. Um, In the play, Salieri goes so far as to actually stab Mozart to death. Mm. Um, And then Pushkin's play was adapted as an opera by Nikolai Rimsky-Korsakov a few years later. Schaefer became really interested in the potential rivalrous story and ended up writing it as the play Amadeus. Mm-hmm. Um, so basically the historical context is that they did know each other. And at times Mozart wrote in letters to his dad that there was a quote cabal of people out against him. Okay, Salieri was a known contemporary of his and even conducted many of his pieces while Mozart was even alive. Mm -hmm. Um, There's no really 
basis that they didn't like each other or that Salieri was jealous of him in some way. He definitely did not try to get his operas out of theaters. Mm. Another thing is that like all of Mozart music was a big hit during while he was alive. Like his operas, none of them flopped. Like they sure. sort of made it to look in the movie. Like Yeah. Like he's on precarious ground of like Will it work? Will it not work? Yeah. Whenever anything of his was premiered, it was like an instant success. Like when he's talk when Salieri's talking about the king and is like, he yawned once instead of three times. Which yeah. once means it'll probably ha- he'll probably still have a career. If he had yawned twice, it would have been over this week. If he had yawned three times, it'd be over tonight. Like Yeah. Well, and one of the things that the emperor actually did have to do is he had to put a limit on the amount of like applause that the shows were getting <laughs> because it was Everybody like sit back down it Let was getting get too many it. encores uh, at the end yeah so he limited it to three <laughs> encores man imagine that being your life like the king ha- or emperor has to put a rule in place of how many encores you can have yeah so this is uh schaefer's first produced work after equus Okay. Also, ah. um, the play ended up premiering at the National Theater in London in 1979, starring Simon Callow as Mozart and Paul Schofield as Salieri. Oh, okay. Of the production, Callow said Schaefer had set out to create a story that was, quote, a vast meditation on the relationship between genius and talent. Uh, he went on to say that Schaefer gives us a Salieri, quote, who was industrious, skillful, and pious, driven to homicide by a Mozart who was foul-mouthed, feckless, infantile, and effortlessly inspired. In Schaefer's play, Salieri was the one person in 18th century Vienna who fully grasped the extent of Mozart's genius, and was thus the one who was most savagely wounded by it. Mm. To him, it was a cruel joke perpetrated by the god he worshipped, that the vessel chosen to receive the greatest music ever written was the least worthy of his creatures. Mm. All Salieri's piety and good taste had been passed over in favor of a repulsive little nerd. (laughs) So that is really the plot of the film. Yes. And it's an interesting thing to talk about because it is the idea of the film and the story of the play is like so juicy And it's just so incredible. Yeah. And it makes for a really enjoyable, like, what's going to happen? Is he going to kill him? Is he going to, is Salieri going to come up with something really brilliant to Mm -hmm. like compete? Is he constantly like, what is he going to do to himself? Mm -hmm. What is, how is he going to bring about Mozart's downfall? Mm -hmm. Um, And all of that, I don't know, is not real. Yeah. Which to be completely honest is perfectly fine. I mean, it, it, it's one of those stories where they're almost using these historical figures to tell the tor- to tell the tale that they want to tell, which is totally fine because we don't really know or care. Like, yeah. we don't know what Mozart's personality was like or Salieri's or anything like that. And so I'm perfectly willing to suspend my disbelief for a little bit and use them because Mozart is a monstrous name, right? Right. Everybody we- knows that he was like this prodigious like yeah. child prodigy yeah. he was incredible also, he was so prolific we also know that he's nuts right that is very well known and documented that either his behavior was erratic or he was erratic but he has this genius that mm-hmm. is untouchable and it makes perfect sense this is a story that i feel like everyone who has ever been a creative person or even like a person competing in your own field, you recognize this situation with your colleagues where Mm -hmm. there are just people who are blessed or struck with this genius and you (laughs) hate them and you worship them at the same time. And it's that like love, lust, hatred, like the deepest, darkest emotions you have as a Mm -hmm. human, the ugliest things, those, those things that make Lucifer fall from glory. And sometimes you see those people as really dumb because that's the only way that you can like stand Mm -hmm. them basically. Like you have to see them as the, as base as Salieri sees Mozart in this because it's really the only way he can get through, but also it, is also what is driving him crazy. Yeah. And, you know, he's trying to bring him down a peg any chance he gets. Well, at least he's, you know, totally 
ruthless in his affections and he doesn't treat his wife well and he's Swanders a slob and yeah. he has no money and all those other things I'm way more successful than him it's like mm-hmm. the only thing he can do to rationalize Mozart's existence yeah <laughs> yeah I was so impressed watching this movie how it can evoke that like really hot feeling in the like deepest darkest parts of your stomach mm-hmm. where you're like I absolutely loathe this person and I simultaneously want to kill them and mm-hmm. I want to be them and I love everything about them. I wish I could be that feckless and like mm-hmm. have all of the things that he has, including the lack of responsibility because the genius is just right there. Because every time I sit down to do something, I have to work so hard to do something mediocre and this person just has it thrust upon them. Well, and then it doesn't matter that he is out of money all the time because he can just sit down and write a masterpiece yeah immediately yeah and like write a new opera mm-hmm. that makes him a lot of money and like it just doesn't matter yeah i was i was so uh i just couldn't stop thinking i guess about the part where salieri is talk and this is all just like discussion about the actual film so sorry i know it's not like film history <laughs> y'all have probably watched this movie and have better thoughts about it but the part that really like killed me that I can't stop thinking about is this idea of like being pious and worshiping God and believing you have talent that is God given and then watching it be thrust upon someone who's so reckless and irresponsible with it and doesn't view it as a gift or a treasure the way that you do and how that can really make you question your faith and your belief about God and the world and genius and talent and beauty and music and all these things like come unraveling so fast. Yeah. Also, (laughs) side note, Tom Hulse, who plays uh, Mozart, he Mm -hmm. voices Quasimodo in The Hunchback of Notre Dame. And so I just kept seeing him as Quasimodo, because I love that movie. I've watched it a million <laughs> times. So I kept like seeing that version of it. I don't know. It just like was a weird mind thing. So. Yeah. Except when he laughed. Except when he laughed. His laugh was crazy. Oh! I did not enjoy that. Well, and it just makes him like that more disgusting yes, and vulgar he's disgusting. and like disgusting. You can't, you can't root for him. Yeah. And yet you know that he's doing something miraculous. Mm-hmm. But then how delicious is the plot point that that Salieri is getting to kill him by forcing him to write his own death march. Oh, it's just like, I know. You can't, it's like a plot that is just so good you can't pass it up. Yeah. Which makes sense that they want to sort of use these real life people who are like bigger than life yeah. to do this. They're, because they're contemporary gods. Yeah. And he did write that like as he was dying. Yeah. Like, that is what happened, yeah. but Salieri did not help him write any and, of it. But, and... but how delicious is it that <laughs> Salieri finally has the opportunity to touch what he's touching and to collaborate with him and to write it down and experience the joy of creation with Mozart and in doing so, he kills him. Well, yeah, and just push him closer and closer and closer to death because of like the anxiety and yeah. the just like you have to keep working, you have to keep producing and he's just like, on his bed and like he he has no energy because yeah. Salieri is just like sucking it out of him. And the second that Salieri opens himself up to the beauty of like not being against him anymore, but being with him mm-hmm. and like letting the joy of creation wash over him. That's when it's all taken away. Mm-hmm. Ugh, it's so good. It's so good. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh. So much speculation about the movie. Sorry guys. <laughs> Uh, so let's keep going. A, a few more things that I have to say about how it was made. Of course, the play was an instant success, um, and then it ended up opening on Broadway in 1980, starring Ian McKellen as Salieri and Tim oh. Curry as Mozart. <gasps> Delicious. Oh my gosh. And then Jane Seymour played Stanzi. Wow. That's so good. Um, notable actors who took over for them during the show's nearly 1,200 performances were John Wood and Frank Langella as Salieri and Peter Firth and Mark Hamill as mm. Mozart. Mark Hamill? Yeah. Oh, good for him. He's been on Broadway many times. I didn't know that. Yeah. Wow. Uh, the Broadway production was also nominated for seven Tony Awards and won five, including Ian McKellen. Good for him. My God. 
Um, Milos Forman happened to be in attendance for the first preview performance of the London production. Ah, um, and said, give and it to me. Was immediately interested in bringing the story to the screen. Uh, so, of course, he had to team up with Saul Zantz, who he won uh, Academy Awards with for One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. Mm-hmm. Schaefer had this to say about being approached by Foreman about the piece. Quote, when I asked director Milos Foreman what he would do with the piece, he replied that a film based on a play is actually a new work, an entirely different fulfillment of the same impulse that had created the original. The adapter's task was to explore many variant paths in order to arrive in the end at the same emotional place. And that the director must collaborate with the author in order to achieve this. Mm. That's a very interesting observation coming from him, considering his adaption of One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. Yeah. Because I would I would say that that's how that film is. Yeah. Where it's not the same as the book, and yet it is the same mm-hmm. in a different way. Yeah. Um, Kenneth Branagh was one of the finalists for the role of Mozart, but was dismissed oh. once Foreman decided he wanted a fully American cast. Hmm. Um, Mark Hamill, who had finished the Broadway run as Mozart, read opposite all of the actresses to play Stanzi, um, but was not considered for the role because he was deemed too famous because Uh, he was Luke Skywalker. Yeah. It's hard to kill Luke Skywalker. Yeah. Uh, Foreman wanted to pick two relatively unknown actors for the leads and decided on Tom Hulse for Mozart, whose most notable role to this point was in the comedy Animal House. And F. Murray Abraham, who was mostly known as a stage actor up uh-huh. to this point. He had done a few supporting roles, but he'd really only been on the wow. stage. Well, and both of those things make sense to me that you would pick someone who's in like something super raunchy and weird yeah. to be Mozart. And then someone who's a prestigious stage actor to be Salieri. Um, Meg Tilly was cast as Stanzi, but had to be replaced the day before filming started by Elizabeth Barrage because she had torn a ligament in her leg and needed surgery to repair it. Oh, no. Bummer. (laughs) Yeah. Um, Simon Callow, who had originated Mozart on stage in London, was cast as Emmanuel Schickeneder, who was the librettist of the Magic Flute. Ah, okay. If you remember him. Yep. Uh Uh-huh. I also love that Jeffrey Jones plays the emperor (laughs) because, of course, now you just see him as his character from Ferris Bueller's Day Off. Yeah. And he's like the same character, but he's this emperor, (laughs) which is just so funny. I just love that also. Um, The majority of the film ended up being shot on location in Prague and Vienna, of course. Makes sense. Um, Also because Foreman is from... Right. He's Czechoslovakian. So... He can work in Prague very easily. Yeah. Uh, they also used the Count Nostitz Theater, where both Don Giovanni and La Clemenza de Tito were actually debuted by Mozart 200 wow, years prior. Wow, that's really cool. Yeah. Neat. So they got to film them there. Mm. This film did also make me really want to go see an opera. Oh, I've never seen an opera before. I feel like it would be really cool. I just thought it would be so boring. But then there were people on bungee cords flying through the roof, and I was like, well, I think I could enjoy that. I also love the ones where they're like flying through the paper set. Right, yeah, uh-huh. The score of the film is almost entirely Mozart's own music. Um, Maurice Jarre, who won Best Original Score, ended up commenting on his acceptance speech. I was lucky Mozart was not eligible this year. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, he won for the passage to India. Mm. Of course, as with most popular films in the 70s and 80s, the soundtrack renewed interest in the popularity of Mozart's music. Yeah, um, such is the way. Also, it really renewed interest in Salieri's career. Yeah, I would imagine people were curious. Like... Yeah, because he really, like, nothing survived of his mm. and wasn't being performed anymore. Well, but that's then, what they say in the movie. Yeah. He, and at the end moments, he's like, none of my music is being played anymore. Well, and this is true 200 years later, even. Yeah. And um, a lot of people started doing his operas again mm. and like doing, performing his music live again, mm. which is really interesting. Yeah. Um, the soundtrack of the film is still one of the most popular classical musical albums ever recorded. Mm. Um, it reached number 56 on the Billboard charts wow. and spent time at number one on the classical musical chart. Uh, and it sold over six and a half million copies. Dang. Very crazy. The last thing I'll mention is that this film was just like highly praised so much. It's one of the most awarded films in history. Mm-hmm. It was nominated for 53 awards Whoa. and it won 40 awards, wow. including Oscars, BAFTAs, Golden Globes, a DGA award, and many film critics awards. Yeah. Wow. Amazing. Yeah. 
so that's what I have to say about the making of the film. <laughs> There's not a whole lot about like the actual making of it other than that it was like took a long time. Yeah. It was very grueling. Yeah. They all like pushed really hard and did their also, actor thing. Also they have thing. to do like all the costuming every day and yeah. all that stuff just so grating on a person. And Yeah. yeah. And all of the like prosthetic makeup yeah. and stuff that uh, Abraham had to wear as Salieri being old, yeah. you know. Which also was like very good. It Obviously, was really good. That's why they won. Yeah. So. Yep. So those are the thoughts on the making of the film. Yeah, this was a really fun film to watch, and I I will say it's just so so long. I wish it wasn't so long. We did watch the director's cut, which had an additional twenty two minutes. But even without that, like it still is a long movie. But so was One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. Yeah. So like that's just the style. I get it. It's fine. It's whatever. But yeah, it it was such an interesting movie. I think it makes a lot of sense that it was so critically received because I think people who are film critics would really enjoy this style and this story like we've been talking about. Yeah. It's just so delicious for people who are in a creative industry. Mm-hmm. Um, I wouldn't say it's like a film for film people, but it's like a film for people who want to understand genius and creativity and competition and all that kind of stuff so it makes a lot of sense that it would be so popular well yes the bad reviews it did get were mostly from historians who were like oh sure this is so crazy why would you make something like this and like i don't know well and i think it's again like we said it's one of those films where like it's okay to just toss off the accuracy because you're telling a story that is beyond those people Mm -hmm. you're mythologizing them and making them into something totally you know yeah new for the sake of a great story yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, with that, we come to the end of our episode in which we thank the Academy for things relating to the films that we discuss, the people in them, the year in history. <laughs> what would you like to thank the Academy for today, Kristen? Oh, boy. Um, First, I would like to thank the Academy for some uh, new inclusivity in our award winners. Huzzah. Uh, more diversity. You know, I've, it's been a long trek of just like, singular minority groups winning an award Mm -hmm. one award per year and so it's cool to see if that yeah and it's cool to see um people breaking into the industry i think uh the music part of things is the most popular to um diversify it's going to take more time to diversify acting nominations and even longer directing and Mm -hmm. writing and such but Nonetheless, um, I think that's a good step forward, and I always want to highlight that and thank the Academy for those steps, small as they may be. Mm -hmm. I would like to thank the Academy for delicious plots. Oh, yum. I mean, we Mm. talked about it, but it's like, it's just so fun when you can come up with such an interesting plot, and like, especially the plot points of like, these people are jealous and where does that go? Like, yeah. how far can we take this? Yeah. And you don't, it's the easiest way into the story to think like everybody knows Mozart is a genius and he died very young. Yeah. Mysteriously. Yeah. And then what if there's this other guy who was so jealous of him Yeah. and maybe he had something to do with it? Yeah. So it's it, super fun. <laughs> isn't it funny that 40 years later, I watched this film for the first time and I feel like I'm experiencing what everyone else has experienced, which is watching it and going, Duh! why didn't I think of this? Why didn't I create something like this? <laughs> why? This is so good. And now it can never be done again. I mean, it'll probably be rebooted at some point. Yeah, but I I, I just, I'm feeling that Salieri moment mm. of, <laughs> <laughs> I would like to thank the Academy for something I think I thanked the Academy for so long ago now, decades ago, which is uh, non-actors playing roles that are so close to them Mm. and doing a wonderful job at it. Mm -hmm. Um, We thanked the Academy way back when for Harold Russell and his incredible, moving, monumental performance in the best years of our lives. Mm -hmm. 
But this year, again, it's just an incredible feat for Hengis Noor to win for The Killing Fields, um, portraying a character that is so, so close to home about a thing that is so deeply personal and also such a unique experience that a lot of the world ignored while it was happening. Mm. Um, a lot of people just weren't aware or involved in the genocide in Cambodia during this time. And it's one of the worst holocausts in human history, especially in more modern history. Um, and I mean, Cambodia still has not even recovered from it all these years later. And um, it didn't get the attention that, you know, a lot of other things did at the time. And so to have him be able to not only bring honor to his country and uh, the people around him, but to his work as a performer and an actor in this this moment is just incredible. Mm -hmm. I would like to thank the Academy for all of the new technology continuing to happen, like VHS tapes and <laughs> 3D animated films. Yeah, technology is really about to slash is taking a huge leap right now. Yeah. In the mid 80s. Yeah, we're going to see a big transition and transformation, honestly, yeah. as we get into the 90s. Yeah, very cool. Lots of new things on the horizon. Hooray. Well, with that, we say thank you for listening. Yeah. Thanks for joining us mm -hmm. as we're, of course, now back on our regularly scheduled programming. Mm -hmm. And join us again next week when we bring you a new Academy Archives. Thank you for tuning in to Thank the Academy. You can follow us on social media at Thank the Academy Podcast on Instagram and Thank Academy Pod on X. If you enjoy listening to the show, make sure to leave a five-star rating on Apple and Spotify Podcasts and subscribe on your favorite streaming platforms. The theme song was created by the one and only Noah Heisinger. Join us next week on Thank the Academy. <laughs>